Hi, I'm Jason Wacob, founder and co-CEO of MindBuddyGreen and your host for the MindBuddyGreen podcast, where I'll be bringing you deep and insightful dialogues with some of the greatest minds in wellness. If you like what you hear, please consider giving us a five-star review and comment. And don't forget to visit us at mindbuddygreen.com for your daily dose of wellness and make sure to check out all of our great offerings, including our online classes and trainings. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Hey everyone, you are in for a treat as today's podcast is part of our special Revitalize series. Revitalize is our biggest event of the year where we gather over 200 thought leaders for a weekend of community and conversation about the biggest, most important wellness topics of our time. This year, the insights we learned on the Revitalize main stage were too good not to share, so we're broadcasting them all in this special podcast series. Be sure to stay tuned until the end of the podcast so you can hear all the experts answer questions from the live studio audience we had at Revitalize. Enjoy. What are we looking for out of our wellness practices? Longevity, to live longer lives with good years, feeling strong, able, and clear-minded. But what are those years worth if they're not good ones filled with purpose, connection, a life worth living? So this year at Revitalize, we're going a little higher. We're stepping back and taking the long view of what we believe is true wellness. We're talking about longevity, about consciousness, about community, true healing and ultimate well-being. To us, wellness is about living longer, healthier, ultimately happier, more fulfilled, and more spiritually connected to oneself, to others, to the planet and the universe, and trying to be present along the way. So to kick off today's discussions, we're going to take a look at what's going on with our collective life expectancy. Turns out the global life expectancy has been steadily on the rise and was 72 years as of 2016. Average life expectancy here in America, eh, not so good. It's actually decreased for three consecutive years according to the latest CDC data. And while the drop is seemingly small, 78.7 years in 16 to 78.6 years in 17, still kind of makes your head and scratch and says, what's going on and what can we do about it? So to talk about this and all things longevity, I'm thrilled to welcome to the stage two of the pioneers in functional medicine. They were at this long before most of us here, true visionaries who saw the future of health when no one was talking about it. They dedicated their lives and work to functional medicine and caring for people who weren't getting better through the traditional healthcare system. These two panelists also happen to be two of my favorite people. So let's hear a warm welcome for Dr. Frank Lipman and Dr. Bob Roundtree. So, so Bob, I'm going to start with uh, aging. What exactly is aging? What's going on at a cellular level? What's making us appear less youthful, less vital over time? Okay, in the simplest possible way of thinking about it, it's wear and tear. And it's the loss of the ability to repair bodily systems. So I was thinking about what we're going to chat about today, and I recall the discussion I had with a surgeon who works on fetuses, who does heart repair, etc. And he was saying that the remarkable thing about doing surgery on a fetus is there's no scarring. That when that baby is born, you'd have no way of knowing there was any surgery ever. 
So when we're young, we have this ability to recover from injury, right? And that's why when you get out on the ski slopes, you see the three-year-olds who are flying down the moguls because they, they have no sense at all that I may break something and it's going to take forever, you know? And then when somebody gets to be 60 or 70, they're like, I don't know if I want to take that little bump. And it's because intuitively they know that the repair mechanisms are slowing down. Right? So that's it in the simplest possible term, is the daily stressors in life. Um, and, and one we should talk about at some length, I think, is sunlight exposure, excessive sunlight exposure. But, you know, toxins in the environment, daily injuries, all of these things eventually catch up with us. And our body can't repair, our DNA can't repair itself, so you get instability of the genome, um, our mitochondria can't repair, so it becomes more difficult to make energy, right? So this kind of global sense that the repair mechanisms are just not working very well. So what can we do to improve cellular health? Do you want an answer to yeah. that question? We all want to know. How do we, how do we stop aging Don't right now? Yeah, how do we stop? We stop cannot. Okay, so there we go. Frank yeah. and I, have, we've talked about this. You can't stop aging, right? But you can slow it down. Yes. I, I do think there's very good evidence that you can slow it down. Um, you know, the, the number one cellular pathway that's involved in aging is called the insulin signaling pathway. Right? You agree with me on that, 100%. Frank? Is that, and what does that say? It says that blood sugar regulation is really at the core of, of the aging process. Right? So that's you know, something that translates into a, a basic uh, a rule is just not eating refined carbohydrates, mm -hmm. but eating fewer calories in general. And we're going to get into that yeah. in more detail. Calorie restriction. So there's calorie restriction, exercise... Um, and then all the basic wellness kind of practices we talk about. Right, so let's talk about that. So how much genes, environment, lifestyle, food, habits, all of that, how much can we influence? Well, the, the thinking is that um, for, for the average person, uh, your genes influence about 25% of your longevity and 75% of the environment. But if you talk about somebody who's a centenarian that gets to be 100, it's genetic. Right, so the older you get, the more likely you are to have a genetic influence, especially if we're talking about health span. Right? Health span is how long you stay healthy. It's one thing to keep people alive till they're 115. It's another thing to keep them alive without having cancer, heart disease, diabetes, etc. That's health span. And that is largely determined by genes. And we know what some of those genes are. So what are the things we can really do well? We can't reverse aging, but we can do things with lifestyle, with food, with nutrition to help slow it and do live a healthier, happier, longer life. So we're not just extending life, it's a life that is a little better, a, little, a life worth, worth living. Right, I, well I think there are a couple of things. As you get older, as, as Bob was saying, your capacity to repair damage decreases, but also your function decreases and your capacity to metabolize carbohydrates decreases. So you actually got to adjust as you age. So most of you here are in your 30s and you can probably do almost whatever you want, <laughs> sort of. Ice cream. <laughs> but once you get into your 60s, 
you've got to be a little bit more careful. So all these wellness practices that we talk about, um, decreasing carbohydrates that Bob was talking about, becomes a little bit more urgent because your capacity to break those carbohydrates down is not as good. Um, exercise becomes more important because that's, you know, there's a concept called hormesis, mm -hmm. which means a little bit of stress is actually good for you. So, you know, the old saying, you know, what doesn't kill you is good for you. So you've got to practice um, or create habits that create this hormesis. So a little bit of exercise is a stress, it's good for you. The idea of fasting, fasting and feasting, right. you're stressing your system by fasting, that's good for you. Um, go, going from hot to cold. You know, I tried to have a cold shower after my hot shower here this morning. It didn't work. Didn't work. <laughs> but, but just going from a sauna to, to cold, you know, all these little stresses on the body are actually good for you. But, you know, taking it to an extreme is not good for you. So as you get older, too much exercise may be too much stress. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the problem we have in society today, you know, in the old days you could fast and feast. Now there's food wherever you want. You're going to... You know, you can get breakfast, you can get whatever you want. But actually, you shouldn't be eating all the time. You should be eating in a certain time period and, and fasting. So, you know, as you get older, you need to adjust more, understand that your body is not exactly the same. You know, I can't do the same exercises that I did 20 years ago. So you adjust. But um, you're not going to stop the aging process. But good habits that we all talk about just become a little bit more important and as you get older, a little bit more urgent, folks. you just got to take it more seriously. So you talk about calorie restriction and, and fasting. Could we talk about autophagy and just explain what that is? seems to be sure. getting a lot of attention and what that actually does and what can we do here to enhance it. Sure. So autophagy, in simple terms, is your, your body has a cleaning system. It basically has a cleaning crew, then a garbage collection, and a renewable, you know, a recycling crew all in one. So your body is actually detoxing by itself automatically. So that's autophagy, the, the, the capacity or the ability to repair damage. Um, and that's what we should be trying to stimulate if we mm -hmm. want to age well. You know, everyone's looking for the magic pill. You know, everyone's looking to age till, you know, to 180. It's not as simple <laughs> as that. I mean, that's a little bit of hubris to think there's going to be a pill that's going to do that for you. The, the idea is to actually understand that your, your body has these mechanisms in and just try to avoid you know, the, the, the habits that you know, make it worse and, and create habits that are actually good for it. Could I interject a little bit on that of too? Of course so you just, can, Bob. Just I, love, I love hearing you speak. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love My hearing favorite you speak. functional guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so there, it's interesting because uh, last week I read a whole article in the New England Journal of Medicine on autophagy. So this is something that scientists are taking really seriously. They want to know what's going on. And part of the deal is we have this idea that our, um, our bodies make these perfect proteins and you use the proteins and then you discard them. But most of the proteins that we make are imperfect. They're junk. And they end up misfolding and building up inside of the cell. So we have to have this very elaborate mechanism for eating them up. There's enzymes at play that will wrap around the proteins. And, you know, it's, again, a very elaborate mechanism. Now, there's, there seems to be this balance between pathways that stimulate growth and pathways that stimulate autophagy. 
And the path, so we're going to get technical here, but I, people ask about this a lot, which is there's a pathway called the mTOR pathway. Anybody heard of mTOR? See, a few people out there. You will hear more yeah. about mTOR. It's called the mechanistic target of rapamycin. That, when you're younger, the mTOR pathway is activated and it's growth at all costs. And what that means is no garbage disposal. No garbage disposal. Right? Because you're just all about, let's get there, let's make it happen. If the garbage builds up on the streets, so what? When you inhibit mTOR, then you turn on autophagy. And that seems to be the central pathway that's involved in fasting. And also in a, in a drug that are, people are using as an anti-aging drug called rapamycin. You might have heard of rapamycin. It's the one drug that has actually been shown to slow down aging. Now, don't run out and take it, please, because <laughs> there's, there's problems with it. But what we're saying is this autophagy issue really taps into the core of our understanding of what the mechanisms are that are involved in aging. So it's important to think of this growth, which most of us need to grow and, and procreate and get strong, but that shifts. Maybe it's good to, to go out and, and, and be very masculine, yang, like the American culture, and you know, <laughs> everything is yeah, bigger and better. But then you get to an age, probably in your 40s, 50s, who knows, when it's not about growth, it's about preservation. So that's the difference. So what Bob was talking about, the certain um, habits that are, are, are growth-producing, which are important, but as you get older, you need to preserve, and you sort of start shifting your habits and your patterns to more preservation, and, and not growth as much. So you mentioned there's no magic out there. And it's something we talked about last year a little bit, Bob, is NAD plus and just yep. revisiting that and the science there and why people are excited about that with regards to cellular health and aging. Yeah, well, the, the idea is that there's this chemical called nicotinamide adenine dinucleotide. Say that really fast, four or five <laughs> times. Uh, or you could just say NAD. And NAD is really what carries electrons in your mitochondria to help make energy. But NAD is also involved in cellular repair. So when your DNA gets damaged by radiation, you're using up your NAD. Consequently, the very fact of aging, being alive on the planet, being bombarded with toxins and ultraviolet radiation, etc., will make your NAD levels go down. And Dr. David Sinclair has actually done a lot of, of work on this where you can measure NAD over time in animals and it plummets. Well, why don't you just take niacin? Niacin, the B vitamin, will raise NAD, but niacin comes with side effects with itching and flushing and liver toxicity. So there's been a search on for years for something that's an alternative to niacin, and that appears to be nicotinamide riboside, or NR. I think it's great stuff. I've been taking it for a couple of years now. Me too. And recommend it a lot. So <laughs> me too. I just, I just started. Uh, I just started. <laughs> do I look younger? Uh, <laughs> it, I should say it should be taken so, with other things, yes. right? It's not, yeah, this, sure. it's not like it's the magic bullet, right. but it needs so, to be taken with a whole array yeah, of supplements. Yeah. So you mentioned Sinclair, the Harvard uh, geneticist, and he's talked about, he's referred to aging as like an illness or disease that, that can be treated. Do you agree? I, I somewhat agree. Well, I think it's, no, I, I would <laughs> phrase it different. As you age, you're more prone to disease rather than 
aging is a disease because we're all going to age and we're all going to die sometime. And, and as, as we talked about, you can maybe slow it down and affect it. I wouldn't say aging is a disease. Or an illness. As, or an illness. I think as you age, you're more prone to, to inflammation, disease, and illness. I mean, I... Your microbiome yeah. breaks well, down. Well, I, I think maybe yeah. w w the way I interpret it was it was something that was treatable. Right. Well, that's the idea behind a study that's going on right now that I, I think is funded by National Institutes of Health on a drug called metformin, which is an, uh, a, a drug that's used for metabolic syndrome and diabetes. And they actually got government approval to study this drug specifically to see if it would treat the condition of aging, right? <laughs> it's not treating diabetes in this study. They're looking at biomarkers of aging and they're asking the question, will this drug slow down those biomarkers or change those biomarkers? So that's very much based on the idea that there's some kind of program at work. One possibility what that program might be is that we know that um, every cell in its body can divide a certain number of times. It's called the Hayflick limit. It will divide a certain number of times and then it stops dividing. Well, then what happens to it? You would think it goes away. No, it doesn't go away. It hangs out in your body. These are called senescent cells. And these senescent cells actually exert an influence on surrounding tissue. Right? So that might be part of the, quote, disease is an accumulation of senescent cells. So there are actually studies going on right now to see if you can do something to remove those senescent cells and to activate stem cells. And Frank can talk about the activation of stem cells. So there's, they're kind of balanced to each other. How do you get rid of these cells that are sitting around doing nothing but causing problems versus your stem cells, which are helping you regenerate? So that might be what this mechanism is about. Right. But, but I would caution finding the magic bullet. Mm -hmm. I think we have this idea in Western culture that there's a magic bullet for everything, for aging including, included. And metformin, there's just been a study that's come out that it actually um, counteracts the benefits of exercise. So, you know, with every drug, you know, drugs have mm -hmm. effects. The ones we don't like we call side effects. <laughs> so, um, yeah. you know, versus, I, versus side benefits. Right. Yeah. So what I you think, get from supplements. You know, if you, want, if you want the magic bullet for aging, maybe it's sleep. Sleep is probably the most important thing you can mm -hmm. do for, for aging. Don't you tell know. that to the father of a newborn. Well, <laughs> but, but I think you, 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 you'll adjust. But anyway. <laughs> Thanks. But it's sleep. It's you see it's my bloods, you'll see what they look like. Yeah. yeah, but it's sleep, it's exercise, it's... Re relaxation, meditation, love. love, kindness. I mean, there was a study. Do you see that study about kindness um, uh, lengthening telomeres? Oh, yeah. So, that, so, you know, what John Mackey was talking about yesterday, kindness, gratitude, all the, you know, what I always say, the ordinary habits or the things we do on a daily basis, the ordinary things we do on a daily basis have extraordinary healing effects. Don't take those for granted. Don't get caught up in this cultural um, uh, belief that we're going to find a magic pill and you're going to live to 180. Just you know, do the same healthy <laughs> things over and over He's again. Ahead of you so, there. so you mentioned 180, and our friend Dave Asprey yeah. has declared he wants to live to 180. Is that even possible? Why? Why does he want to do that? Yeah. So he, he actually has a good answer. He's, he says that you know, if, if he's going to be around that long, 
and, and, and if we develop that mindset, you start thinking a little bit harder about what we're doing to the planet we're living on. So it's like a, it's a pretty well, good answer. Well, well, that's good, but this is what I would say to that. I think... Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's all nice. I think, once again, it's that very yang, masculine attitude to biohacking. You know, first, in, in our, when we were young, it was hormones, hormones, hormones. Yes. Now the younger generation is biohacking, biohacking. It's a very masculine, yang way of looking at it. And maybe the younger guys can be like that. As you get into your 60s, you become a little bit more yin, and it's a little bit more, what are these other aspects that are probably more important? So it's not such an aggressive way of, of looking at aging. It's like, you know, what's more important? It's about the community. It's about being kind. It's about gratitude. It's about meditation. It's about sleep. All these other things which I think are way more important than finding the magic bullet. Yeah. So with regards to testing, there are so many developments out there. You know, I, you know the testing I do with you. Like, what should people be testing for? What's actually helpful? Uh, what are the types of tests people can go to their doctors and say, you know what, I want to take this? What should people be looking for there? Well, I think they're great biomarkers. And I think what's good about this biohacking or what we now call personalized medicine is you can do genetic testing to see where your genetic weaknesses are. You know, you know, for instance, you can have genetics for Alzheimer's or heart disease, which I have, but if that's going to present itself as Alzheimer's, maybe I don't, I'm getting Alzheimer's. You haven't mentioned but, gluten uh, yet. <laughs> um, but it's, it's determined by how you live your life. So you can do genetic testing to see where your weaknesses are. As, as Bob said, 25% maybe are that most of your genes you can actually uh, change. But there are other biomarkers for it. You know, Bob was talking about these growth factors. There's insulin growth factor yep. one, yep. which is actually an important biomarker that doctors don't do, which if it's high, that means you, you're in that growth um, phase still, which you've got to you know, be careful of. But I think you know, insulin is really probably one of the most important ones to measure. Insulin growth factor as well. Um, Hemoglobin A1C, yep. simple, cheap, Homo everybody should do yeah, it. Yeah, homocysteine, they're the nutrient levels. So there are lots of basic things, but now we're getting a little bit more sophisticated. There are more and more markers coming out which tell us, which give us more information about inflammation. So I think it's very interesting what's happening, but ultimately the basics are the same. Eat well, maybe don't eat as much, fast more, sleep well, move your body, um, Chill out, um, have community. It's not about, you know, it's all about the community. Be kind, be generous. Everything John was talking about yesterday. And then the other stuff is, is sort of the, the, you know, the, the icing on the top. But I do think you can personalize things a little bit more now with the testing. One thing I might interject, might add to that, is microbiome testing. Yeah, okay. You know, that it's microbiome, yeah. gut microbiome testing has now reached the level of sophistication. Only with one test, your guy's test. Yeah, oh, yeah, well. Okay, no. <laughs> so so he, he can't say this, but most of the microbiome testing I've found is basically a waste of time. But Thorne now actually have a microbiome test, which we can't do in New York, so I don't which apparently you can... You go to Connecticut. I know, but it's apparently the most accurate way of testing the microbiome. So not just any microbiome testing, talk about it. Well, it's important, <laughs> it's important to, do, to test for everything that's there, right? And, and most of the early tests of the microbiome only used what's called a probe to look for specific bacteria. 
the, the sophisticated tests that are out there now are actually looking at everything in the gut. And why would this be an important marker for aging? Because this is where things really start to go wrong early in life, right? You can have problems with your microbiome when you're 20, when you're in your teens, right? right? So long before you start to see issues with blood sugar or homocysteine or lipids or things like that, you can see imbalances in the gut microbiome. So that's why I'm saying I think this is really the wave of the future you know, and I think more companies are going to be offering this. Yeah. It's not going to just be an exclusive uh, offering sure. there. But I, I think it's well worthwhile for people to get this done. Awesome. Yeah. So we're going to open it up for questions, guys. So I'm going to grab the iPad and start looking at these. Choose carefully, Jason. Ah, <laughs> huh, interesting. Okay. <laughs> A lot of good ones here, so I don't, I don't know how many we're going to get, get through, but I'm just going to uh, start. So from Shana, how close are we to gene altering for life extension? What should we know as individuals as these treatments come to market? What should we be skeptical of? Well, what, what, what is gene altering? <laughs> I think the genes that we can, you can't alter genes, but you can, you can have genetic weaknesses. So you can measure certain genes that will tell you if you have a weakness in whether it's breaking down certain toxins or, or byproducts of, of, of proteins or whatever. So you can actually measure some of those genes and from that you can actually recommend dietary changes mm -hmm. or nutrients mm -hmm. that can upregulate those genes. So that's what we're really talking about. You can't, I can't change the genes for my brown eyes or my genes for you know, whatever it is. So, well, there, there was the, there is the Chinese scientist that did the, you know, altered the genes in kids to make them resistant to HIV. Right. Right. But then right. they found out that they're, they're going to have other problems. Exactly. Right. So, so if it's that kind of gene altering, I think you have to right. be really careful about it. Right. So another good one from Jason Williams. We all know people like this. People live in their, you know, 80s, 90s, smoke and drink, do everything yep, wrong. Yep, yeah. So is it genetics or is it stress? Um, I think it's a little bit of both, but there's, yeah. there's pretty good data. When you, you interview these 117-year-old people that's like get up and have a, a shot of whiskey every day, and, a, you know, what, what did you do to live so long, you know? Jim Beam, right? <laughs> it's like, oh, my God. I really think those people have a certain gene that is, is a highly protective gene. And they've done, they've looked at centenarians and you know, looked at lifestyle habits, and the, it's once you get past a certain age, the lifestyle habits aren't that important because there's this one gene called the FOXO, the forkhead box O group gene, and what it does is it overrides all the bad genes, right? So that's one thing that's worth getting genetic testing for, right? Because that means you can have your Jim Beam for breakfast, right? <laughs> or I thought tequila was better than Jim Beam. Tequila, right. Uh, another, another, another good one. It's the <laughs> I thought it was the light spirits, not the dark spirits. We have it all wrong. <laughs> so another, another good one from, from Kylie Morgan. So just a clarification on fasting. So in your opinion, you know, to, to get the benefits, what, what time frame are we talking to? So is it 12, 14, 16, 18, sure. and so forth? And then like... You know, there's different, there's the fat fasting, there's so many different types of fasting, like in your opinion, are they all created equal? 
Yeah, I mean, there are different ways of fasting, and I think you've got to get your body to adapt. I mean, there's the basic intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating, mm -hmm. where you probably should do at least 14 and probably 16 hours of not eating before a lot of these mechanisms kick in. Mm -hmm. So that's probably an easy way to start. That's what I do. I just don't have breakfast. And as you, the, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Mm -hmm. You realize that your body doesn't need food as often. So that's one way. But I think it's just as good to do you know, a day or two or three, whatever. I, I think they're all different mechanisms. But what I will say is um, don't abuse yourself and think you can fast for three days and, and things will be all hunky-dory. I think as you get older, these things need to become habits. So fasting becomes a habit. And, and what I will say, the more you, you start with just once or twice a week, maybe for 12 hours, then 14 hours, and build up, and you'll see it actually gets pretty easy. I mean, you, once you start doing it, and, and the interesting thing is if you eat less carbs and more fat, it becomes even easier. So, you know, I haven't eaten, I'm not going to be hungry till lunchtime, and you'll see most people find that. So you build up, but I would say start with, you know, 12 hours, 14 hours, and once you get to 16 hours, it's probably when things kick in. So I'm curious, how many people here have engaged in some kind of intermittent fasting, overnight fasting? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Oh, I love it. Yeah, it's, okay. it's really the rage yeah. right now, and it's, the <laughs> data yeah. is good. The data is good. It's a legitimate practice. And it's better than any detox. I mean, this juicing, juicing detox is nonsense. Actually, the best detox for you is not to eat, because then your body's own detox mechanisms kick in. So this is, I'm sorry, this is the last question. This is all we have time for, but it's a good one to end on. This last question from Hannah Margaret. If we could get every person to do just one thing, in, in order to attempt those not-so-good stats on aging in the U.S., what's the one thing that could make everyone live longer? I would say sleep, just because most people don't take sleep seriously. But I don't think it's one thing. It's about creating healthy habits, but sleeping, intermittent Eating less. Eating less. Yeah. Eating less, yeah. loving more. Thank you. You said it. I love it. it. Yeah. Amen. Thank Amen. you so Amen. much. All right. Great, okay. Bob. Thank you. Thank you.